It's good to be here among you. I hope that you have been blessed already by the worship, the time where we come together and we edify one another and encourage one another and pray that your joy would be full this morning in Christ. We are in Titus chapter 2. The text is verses 1 through 10. So the word of God says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Father, we come before you now, needy of your grace, needy of your spirit, the spirit that moves in our hearts. We pray that your spirit would move in our hearts this morning, that he would convict us, that he would open our eyes so that we might behold the wonderful things that are in your word. We pray that he would be able to point our hearts to Christ, that he would point us to Jesus and to the gospel. Lord, I, I know that I, I stand on the promises that our brother prayed just a moment ago. Your word does not come back void. It does not come back empty. You, you move through your word. You have, you, have, you have designed it so that you, we are changed by your word. And so, Father, I pray. We pray together as a church. Change us by your word. We are humble before you. We are our ears are open before you. Our hearts are eager to learn from you. And so, Father, teach for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to consider for a moment what is essential, the essential elements of being a healthy church. What is essential for a local church to truly be a healthy church? church. I am sure that our thoughts on this would vary kind of wide, widely. Perhaps we would need to have and maintain a good and warm and welcoming atmosphere to be a healthy church, right? Like we'd want to be a happy church. We want to be warm and welcoming. Maybe really top-rated children's ministries are what's required so that we might be a healthy church. Maybe awesome music and engaging preaching and good leadership, and strong financials, and really good facilities. 
Perhaps it is unity in the body of Christ that makes for a healthy church. Mark Dever, a pastor in Washington, D.C., has written a good book on this subject called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And in that book, Dever offered, wait for it, nine marks of what makes a church healthy. Nine things to pursue, to become, and stay healthy as a church. To be a healthy church, churches must have expository preaching, expositional preaching, good theology, a right grasp of the gospel, proper understanding of conversion, active participation in evangelism, a practice of membership, and church discipline. They must be serious about discipleship, and they must have a biblical form of church leadership. Those are the nine marks that he offers, and it's a serious book, and it's worth considering, and I agree with those points. But my real question this morning is perhaps more basic. How essential to the health of the church is sound doctrine or healthy doctrine? I'm dwelling on the word healthy this morning because the word translated sound in Titus 2 could be translated healthy. If you have an ESV version, there's a footnote to that effect. It's the Greek word from which we have derived our English word hygiene. And out of the 12 times that it's used in the New Testament, nine occur in the pastoral epistles. First and second Timothy and Titus. The pastoral epistles are all about the health of a church and the health of a church leader. The health of a church leadership, the health of a church. So let me pose my question. The question that's at the heart of this sermon very specifically, okay? How important is it for a church to hold to healthy doctrine? Is it possible, to put it another way, is it possible for a church to be healthy and not be serious about sound doctrine? Sound doctrine has gotten a bad rap of late in the church, in America especially. People hear the term and they think that it sounds cold or divisive or irrelevant, like not practical. There's an association also that American Christians have made between doctrine and disunity. So divisiveness and perhaps not without cause. Can we be a healthy church and simply not worry about doctrine that much? I mean, can't we just not worry about doctrinal matters? Lots of churches in America are trying that. What would Paul think about that? And even more basically, can I be a healthy Christian? Can you, can you be a healthy Christian and not worry about it that much? Lord willing, we're going to spend the next three weeks hearing Paul say a resounding no to that idea. We're going to see that it is impossible to be a healthy Christian. Impossible. Not unlikely, not hard. Impossible to be a healthy Christian or a healthy church without sound doctrine, and that's because sound doctrine is more than simply a set of ideas that we put on paper or that we post to our website that we intellectually and academically affirm. As we will see, sound doctrine is at the heart of sound living. Healthy doctrine equals healthy living. Today, we will just consider two things, answer two questions as we look at this passage, the whole passage I just read, from a higher perspective, a 30,000-foot perspective. The two questions are, what does it mean to teach what accords to sound doctrine? That's the command there. 
And what does it look like to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior from verse 10? Next week, we'll, we'll come in a little closer to the ground and consider what it, that means practically for older men and older women. And then the following week, Lord willing, what that looks like for younger men and women, and even for bond servants, which I believe you will see has great relevance for us today, even if we don't have bond servants anymore. This is a three-week look at what it means to be a healthy Christian and what it means to be a healthy church. And I pray that the Lord will use it to both challenge and encourage and strengthen us as Christians and as a church. Verse 1 begins with Paul's pivot from the false teachers that he needled in chapter 1 to Titus. But as for you, Titus, don't teach what they teach. You teach sound doctrine, what accords with sound doctrine. As we saw last week, false teaching always leads to false living. Paul isn't insulting people with words like detestable or unfit for any good work. He is calling a spade a spade. The doctrine these people are teaching, which they ought not to teach, back in chapter 1, verse 11, leads to bad things in the church. Whole families are being upset by this teaching, Paul says. And these teachers themselves, they behave badly. And that's because bad theology, bad doctrine, bad doctrine leads to bad living. And Paul pivots from them to Titus into one, but as for you, teach what accords to sound, with sound doctrine. But then notice that everywhere he goes in verses 1 through 10 has to do with sound living, right? Not, not merely sound doctrine. What is an old man being self-controlled or older women teaching younger women how to love their husbands and children or bond servants not being argumentative? What, is, what do those kind of things have to do with sound doctrine? Well, everything, as it turns out. You see, healthy doctrine is never merely academic. I think that's where most Christians get this wrong. We misunderstand what sound doctrine actually is when we think that we can somehow divorce sound doctrine from sound living. One is at the heart of the other. Without healthy doctrine, healthy teaching, there is no healthy living. And on the other side of that, healthy doctrine equals healthy living. Now, some of you might object to that. Because you know perhaps a Christian or even a church that has perfect doctrine, but that's full of backbiting and envy and gossip. Or a Christian leader who affirms robustly biblical, a robustly biblical statement of faith, but who has been found out to be indulging in a sinful double life for 10 years. Your experience might suggest to you that someone can believe right things and then behave in ways that are inconsistent with those views. And if a person can do that, then so can a church. So the question boils down to this. Can a, can a Christian truly be sound in doctrine, but unsound in Christian living? And I don't think that that's possible at all. I think a Christian can profess sound doctrine and live in a disconnected way. I think we see that all over. The final verse in, in Titus chapter 1 affirms this. They profess to know God. They profess, their words profess God, but they deny him by their works. So it is possible to profess to believe true things and then live in a way that's contrary to those things. Yet I don't think it's possible for a Christian to truly, truly believe sound doctrine and then live in a way that's disconnected from those truths. And I bet you would agree if you gave it some thought. 
So let's give it some thought together, shall we? Every time you sin, every time you sin, you are believing lies. You're actually believing untrue things when you sin. You're not believing truth when you sin, but rather you have moved in your heart and mind to lies. And that's what you're holding on to and believing. So let me try to set this up for us, okay? Imagine for a moment that you were at work and someone has left a really nice pen in the conference room. Uh, a Mont Blanc or whatever, however you pronounce that kind of pen. If you're into pens. Are you into pens? Anyone into pens? You've noticed that pen before. You, 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 it's a beautiful pen. And you're pretty sure you know the owner. And as it turns out, you're actually more fond of that pen than you are of the owner. You walk by it a couple of times, right, on your way to the water cooler. You notice that pen. It's a nice pen. Still there. A couple hours go by. Still there. No one's around anywhere around the conference room. Surely this pen has been abandoned. The owner of this pen obviously doesn't care for this pen the way a, a proper pen owner should care for his pen. He doesn't deserve it. But I would love that pen. I would, I would, it would look great in my collection. I am tempted to steal it. Oh, but I, I know the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Wrestling with this in my desk, right? I'm sitting at my desk and I'm wrestling. If I take it, it will be sin. It will dishonor God. If, even if no one sees me do it, God will see and it will give me a guilty conscience. I'll be thinking about that I'm a thief. And it might lead me to other sins, you know? I might, I might have to lie to cover this up. It might put me in a position to lie when later when the absentee pen owner comes looking for his pen. It might lead me to dishonor at work. Other people might know this. So I might be exposed. You believe those things, right? believe that those are true things. That's, that's healthy doctrine, right? Those things. But then you think, okay, or I think of such a nice pen, and I really want it. I'm going to take that pen. And so I walk by the conference room once more, and as if it was mine, I casually pick up the pen, and I put it in my pocket. If anyone sees me, I've got a plan. I'm just going to act surprised and embarrassed and apologize. Oh, I thought this was mine. Um, I have a pen just like this at home. Here, here's your pen. And I, I put it in my pocket and I go. So here's my question, all right? That's the scenario. What am I truly believing when I steal that pen? Like, what am I truly believing? Am I believing that all those doctrinal truths that I wrestled with at my desk? Am I believing that God is good in all of his ways and that in keeping his commandments, there is great reward? Am I believing that sin is not just an arbitrary prohibition from God who does not want me to enjoy good things, but that sin is morally corrupting and damaging to my own soul and my heart and my mind, that it is a destroyer of joy? Am I believing that God is all-satisfying and that Jesus is better than life? Or am I really believing that I would be better off with that pen in my hand than all those other things? They're all somehow less important than, than, than having what I want. It's obvious, isn't it? The, the proof is in the pudding. The pen is in my pocket. 
My doctrine, what I truly believe in the end, is what determines what I do. Do you get it? Are you following me? Now, I grant that you can believe one thing in the moment of temptation and sin and then repent of that thing and return to believing right things. But I hope you see my point. There's no such thing as a Christian who believes or a church that believes sound doctrine and lives in a way that's disconnected from sound doctrine. So the convicting question I think we have to ask ourselves at this point is what do we truly believe? Not what does our statement of faith say, but what does our statement of life say about what we believe? But you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And what follows in this passage are, I believe, ways that sound doctrine plays itself out in the lives of Christians from varying demographics. Verse 2 is what sound doctrine looks like in the life of an old man lived out. And verse 3 is what it looks like in the life of an old woman. And verses 4 and 5 cover young women. And verses 6 and 8 cover young men with Titus as an example of one. And verse 9 rounds it off with bondservants. What we see in these verses is what accords with sound doctrine. This is what's in keeping with healthy teaching. Teach them, Titus, what sound doctrine looks like in the life of believers. Teach them how healthy teaching plays itself out in the life of the church. So, what is the specific doctrine, the specific teaching? The word doctrine, you know, means teaching. What is the specific teaching in view? I think right at the heart of it is the doctrine of the gospel. And I think that because it comes up so much in this letter, so much. This is how Paul even began the letter. Do you recall? Titus 1, 1 through 3 says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Do you see the connection? And hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. That's Paul's starting place with this letter. The gospel, God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And then he gets into the qualifications of church leaders, then calls out false teachers, and then he gets to our passage, and then the first place he goes after he says this, our passage today, truth which accords with godliness, he goes back to the gospel, Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In a few weeks, Lord willing, Pastor Thomas will preach this passage and I am sure that he will show how Paul connects the gospel with good works and how the grace of God enables Christian living. And then, before this short letter is out, Paul will go there even again, at least one more time. Titus 3, 3 through 8, I'll read it as well. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. See the connection? In all these examples, Paul explicitly ties the good news of the gospel with the resulting good works in those who believe it. Therefore, I believe that the sound doctrine that's in view in Titus 2.1 is at the heart of it the gospel. Paul sees a direct connection between the gospel in the heart of a believer and good works in the life of a believer. The gospel transforms us, friend. That's the truth. The gospel transforms us. When we are truly believing the gospel, it works its way out in our lives. We go from being selfish and to being concerned about the needs of others. From being haters to being those who love other people. The gospel absolutely transforms us. We go from those who adorn the prevailing attitudes and views of this world to those who adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Don't you love that phrase? Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I love that phrase. You can see it in verse 10. The gospel so works in our lives that we end up wearing the doctrine like one would wear a robe or uniform. Of course, it's not donning those duds that makes us Christians, but true Christians don those duds. You know why soldiers wear uniforms? A lot of you served in the military. You, you know very well why. There might be several reasons, but one is so that everyone can see just by looking that you belong to the Army or to the Air Force or to the Navy or the Marines or the National Guard or, or what have you. It's how, on a glance, in a combat zone, one can tell the difference between a civilian and a soldier. At least that's the intent. But note how it works. The uniform indicates or displays a deeper reality. It is not the uniform that makes one a soldier. You've all heard of stories of strange people buying uniforms on eBay and then wearing them around and stealing valor by pretending that they're veterans of certain conflicts. But, but they're not real soldiers. They, they, they're wearing the, the uniform, but they're not real soldiers. The, the, the uniform doesn't make them a soldier. However, if one is genuinely a soldier, then wearing the uniform is right and fitting and consonant with the reality that he is, in fact, a soldier. Do you see? Isn't that what's meant here? Adorning the doctrine of God, our Savior, does not mean that we do things or behave in certain ways to become truly Christian. But if we are truly Christian, if we are truly born again by the power of the gospel, then it is right and fitting and consonant with that reality that we don the clothing of the doctrine of God, our Savior, this is the way Christians dress. These are the duds we wear. The point is that Christians have been changed. We're not what's, what we once were. You, you, you've been changed. God has transformed us by the power of the gospel. Christ's work on the cross in our place, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his enabling spirit now in our lives utterly transforms all who are trusting in him by faith. We're not the same. You're not the same. I hope you feel that this morning if you're in Christ. You're not the same. And we cannot and we should not wear the old clothes anymore. They don't fit. It's not fitting to wear shirts of envy or pants of covetousness or hats of pride 
or shoes of worldliness or suits of hate and unforgiveness. It's not who we are anymore. Those, those clothing, that, that's not fitting for us anymore. By the grace of God, we've been transformed. And our new duds, they're beautiful clothes. They're beautiful clothes. Self-control, sound in faith, sound in love, sound endurance, reverent in behavior, love for our spouses and children, good works, good faith. That's, that's how Christians dress now. The gospel changes everything. Oh, it's so good to think about One of my favorite dead Christians from modern times is a man named John Newton. Mostly, I love Newton for the transformation that Christ made in his life. I love that he went from being a slave trader to a a supporter and champion of the abolitionist movement, being one of the key encouragers and helps to William Wilberforce. I love that Newton was a pastor that deeply loved his people and faithfully preached God's word to them for decades. I love him for his hymns, and I especially love him for his hymn, Amazing Grace. And I love him for his grasp of this truth that's before us today. Newton famously said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Newton was wearing new clothes, not as perfectly or as good as he should, or that he one day would. There were some wrinkles. There were times, I'm sure, that he didn't perfectly match. But he was, by the grace of God, adorning the doctrine of God, our Savior. And this, friends, is what you and I are called to. Titus was called to preach these truths. He was called to preach the gospel. He was called to preach the promise of our never-lying God. And he was called to teach and preach that truth, not merely as an academic subject to be mastered, but one that utterly transforms the life of one who holds it. We don't just master sound doctrine. Sound doctrine masters us. That's why I'm a pastor. That's, that's my ambition here on Sunday mornings. I don't just want you to know stuff the way a scholar might know chemistry or English or history. I want you to know Christ. I want you to know the gospel and to be utterly transformed by the grace of God in him through and through and in increasing measure as you grow in Christ. So changed that the world can tell at a glance by your clothing that you are not who you once were. God's grace, the doctrine of God, our Savior, is your new clothes. We are dressed in his righteousness. So what makes a healthy church, or what makes a Christian healthy? Friends, first and foremost, it is sound doctrine. And right at the heart of that is the gospel. If we get the gospel wrong, if we get this truth wrong, We will not be a healthy church no matter what we get right outside of that. A diseased gospel will lead to a diseased church. Titus was charged, and we are charged, to teach what accords with sound doctrine. We must eat healthy food, the healthy food of the Word of God, so that we might be a healthy church. If we eat junk food, we will not be healthy. We will not be healthy. 
If we pretend that doctrine doesn't matter, if we just go with the world, what they're saying these days, and just not care about truth, if we avoid teaching precious truths about God and man and sin and redemption, we will not be able to fully or rightly adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We must teach what accords with sound doctrine. We must teach Christ. We must teach the cross. We must teach the empty tomb. Justification by faith. And the forgiveness of sins in Christ. And the hope in Jesus of eternal life. And the transforming nature of his grace of God in him. In all who believe. We must teach what accords with sound doctrine. And Christians, we must adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So where are you at with this this morning? Just thinking about your clothing this morning. What are you wearing? Do you believe sound doctrine? Do you really believe it? Are you healthy? Are you seeing God at work in your life in a growing way as he transforms you by his grace? Doesn't this passage, does not this passage demonstrate how vital it is for us to pursue sound doctrine and find nourishment in God's word? I want to be a healthy Christian. I'm sure you do too. We want to be a healthy church. Doctrine is not just important in the life of the church or in your life, dear Christian. It's not merely important. It is vital. Vital for us so that we might wear so that we might adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. I implore you, turn to Christ in these things. If your clothing is not anything like the clothing that Christians should wear, turn to Jesus. If it is, rejoice in the work that Christ has done in you. We need sound doctrine in the life of the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you that you have not left us to figure this out on our own. You've not, left, left, you've not just commanded us to find our way as a child might find his way through a dark room, but you have, you have given us light. You have given us your word. Lord, I pray that we would cling to sound doctrine that we, would, we, we wouldn't hear that word as cold or divisive, but we would, we would know that it means life. You, your words are life. You have the words of eternal life. We have nowhere else to go but your word. And I pray, Father, for everyone in this room. I pray that our hearts would be stirred by, by the gospel this morning. By the way that you reclothe us. Several might have come in this morning with very dirty clothes. Not, not, I mean metaphorically. Clothes stained with sin. Shame. Lord, I pray that they would leave here clothed in the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. Clothed with a robe that is washed white by the blood of Christ. And I pray that all of us would cling to that hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.